0: All right. How's everyone doing? You ready for the barbecue? Remember to pray for Kirk and Stacy in this time. He texted me on Friday and said, hey, can you come over? And I said, absolutely. I would, there's no place I'd rather be than right here with you. And uh, so excited to be with you. My name's is Leif. Uh, the name is spelled just like on a tree. My parents were hippies. No meaning for the name. I was born in Montreal, so the maple leaf flag probably is where I get it from. So I'm super excited to be with you for a few reasons. Number one is I've known Kirk, it's actually 15 years. Um, I've been here 15 years, my wife and I in Thousand Oaks, and Kirk was one of the first pastors I connected with. Just an amazing man of God, love Kirk. We pray together, we talk together. Um, When I need some wisdom, I like to go to people who are calm, who are focused, who can see the 20,000 foot high view, and that's your pastor, your pastor is amazing. The other reason I'm excited is when my wife and I first came here, this was actually the church building we met with, met on Sundays at. I can remember my boys at 7, 5, and 3 playing down there in the hill and almost causing me to pass out. I was a nervous Nelly. I can remember baptizing our first family, the Hexermer family, in this baptistry. So this is where we first came to. And super excited to be with you. And Today's message is entitled, Yes, No, and Nothing in Between. We're going to be looking at a very familiar story to many of us, John 4. It happens to be the woman at the well, but we're going to look at what happens after she leaves from the well. And um, I want to ask this question, what are you excited about? What fuels your faith? What fuels your life? What we read, what we post, what we watch, who we hang out with, how we spend our money, how we spend our time, is what fuels us. It, are, it is the things that fuel us and get us excited. Some of us love to read. Some of us love nature. My wife loves to write. Some of us love to exercise. Some of us love to be with other people. Some of us love to be by ourselves, get in a room, get a, just a cup of tea. But what fuels your faith? Now, I am a big football fan, and my team is the Miami Dolphins. So we rarely make the playoffs. We struggle a lot. So there's a playoff story. It doesn't have to do with them. But there was a few years ago that Broncos were in the playoffs and Tim Tebow was the quarterback. Have you heard of Tim Tebow? So Tim Tebow's the quarterback. So I'm like, my team's never going to be in it. So I might as well root for Tim Tebow. And they're playing the Steelers and it goes to overtime and everyone's down and out on Tebow. He can't throw the ball well. He's an athlete, but he's not a quarterback. And the first play of overtime, he steps back. He throws this pass and the and the guy scores on the first play. And my house, I have three boys and one daughter. And the whole house screams. It erupts. We jump. Yeah! The next morning, um, we're in the neighborhood. And our neighbors across the street who went to a church nearby, they're from Texas. They go, were you watching the football game last night? Because they could hear us across the scre- street screaming. And, you know, the same way we were watching the game, I wonder if people notice how we walk with God if, it, if our faith is fueled. I wonder if they see how we live and how we talk, how we handle adversity, how we express and exude compassion and generosity. I think compassion and generosity are two of the most important things we could have as believers, especially in days like this. My neighbors noticed that we were watching the game, but I want all my neighbors to notice how I walk with God. Jesus said it this way, John 6, 38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And so we want to have our faith fueled. I have have my youngest sons graduating high school. I don't know how many, how many, does anyone have a high school or middle school graduate this year? Uh, Raise your hand. Congratulations, congratulations. But we have these lawn signs, don't we? Class of 2022, um, college bound, and there's something exciting. And so I want to talk about what it means to fuel our faith. And if you can frame it this way, and we have to go quick because we have to eat a barbecue. So, here is what I would say is the most important aspect of fueling our faith. If you only hear one thing, hear this. It should be be what pleases God, blesses others, but it should also be deeply satisfying within. It should have all three of those components. So, when you think of your faith being fueled, it's not just giving it to God. It's not just giving it away to others. You should be filled up. So, it's what pleases God. It's what blesses others. And it's what deeply satisfies with him. So a guest speaker usually have a checklist, iron clothes, mints, but I left my glasses at home. So I'm going to try to read the text. John 4, verse 27 to 38. Here we go. Just then Jesus' disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked him, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town And said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward Jesus. Meanwhile, the disciples urged him, Rabbi, teacher, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. Don't you have a saying that there's yet four months until the harvest? I say to you, lift up your eyes and look, for the fields are ripe for harvest. Even now, can you say even now? Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. That's a key phrase. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for, Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Can we pray as we dive into this word? Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for my brothers and sisters, my friends online, in this building, outside. Lord, thank you that your word is a light, a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Lord, we believe this word encourages, we believe it guides, but help us to believe it transforms as well. So, Lord, at the reading of the word, the hearing of the word, the teaching of the word, and the doing of the word, may your name be glorified. Amen? So, two quick points. We're going to try to do this in the next 15 minutes. Keep the story going. Keep the story going. A great storyteller is amazing. I loved telling stories when my kids were younger. And when you tell a great story at bedtime, one of two things should happen. They fall asleep peacefully or they ask for another chapter. It's either so peaceful that they just fall asleep, or they ask for another chapter. A great storyteller has an amazing way of not just painting a picture of the story, but putting you in the story, isn't that true? Like someone who can write, like um, there's a a Catholic priest who's passed away, Henry Nouwen, great writer. If you've ever read Henry Nouwen, I would encourage you to read him. C.S. Lewis, amazing. Dr. Seuss, don't sleep on Dr. Seuss. And the Winnie the Pooh narrator, it was a blustery day in the hundred, you know, like those are, they're great storytellers. And God is into stories. He, he likes stories. And in this story, a woman comes to a well like she does every day and she encounters Jesus and Jesus offers her living water. He reveals her past and then he gives her the most amazing news possible. He says, I am the one you're talking about. I am the one you've been waiting for. I am the Messiah. And in that moment, she has an encounter with Jesus that is so powerful. It's the best news you could have. And I love, I don't know about you, but I love Jesus' encounters with people. Can you think in the Bible, maybe, of an encounter that you loved of Jesus meeting someone? For me, the one that always gets me just teary eyed is the criminal on the cross. When he says, Lord, Remember me when you enter your kingdom. And do you remember what he says? Jesus says, assuredly today I say to you, you will be with me in paradise. And, and just that moves me. And there, there's something about the stories. And it says in verse 28 and 29, leaving her water jar, she went back to her people, her town, and said, come and see a man who's told me everything about my life. Could this be the Messiah? And what I want to encourage you with is Jesus knows what he wants to do and he knows what he wants for you. Isn't that good? That Jesus knows what he wants to do, and he knows what he wants for you. He wanted that woman to receive living water. Jesus was actually at that well, not at a time where most women came. The married women weren't there. The virgins weren't there. This was the time like second-class citizens, third-class citizens, the the kind of the ones who maybe had messed up in life. This is the time they would go to the well, and Jesus is at the well at that time. And he doesn't just want this woman... To receive good news, he wants her people she does life with, the people she spends time with, the people she's gotten into fights with, the people who have counted her out, he wants them to know the good news. Jesus said to Peter, Follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. He said to Paul, I'll make you a servant to the Gentiles. There was a man, remember the man across the lake who was demon possessed and Jesus sent the demons into the pigs, bacon for everyone? You remember that? Do you remember that story? This is one of the craziest things that happens in all the Bible. That man is well and in his right mind, and he says, Jesus, may I go with you? May I follow you? We all think the most important thing is following Jesus. Jesus said to him, no. Do you know that? He asked to follow Jesus, and Jesus said no. He said, no, Mark 5, 19, go back and tell your family and friends the wonderful things God has done for you. Go and tell the story. So I want you to know, the Bible says in Romans 10, 15, How can they preach unless someone is sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So I want to tell you, I'm standing here, and it's a miracle that I'm standing before you. I didn't grow up in the church. I got saved at 18. I did not even know Jesus and Easter were the same thing. I had never heard that. Grew up in New York, never heard that. Grew up in a Jewish family, but a pagan Jewish family, not a practicing. And I got saved at 18 through a basketball league at the church on the way. I joined staff at 19. And I felt called to be a pastor at 23. But there was one small problem. I had a fear of speaking in public. Like a tremendous fear. I, 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 I would miss school and high school and take a fail on an oral report. Even in Bible college, I would make up excuses why I couldn't go and speak. One time I was working with the youth group. Like you have the youth in the class now. I would say, I can't go. You know, um, I can't speak. Have someone else do a devotional. And then one night, so I really struggled with fear. And one night, I'll never forget this. The Holy Spirit started talking to me. Now I come from a a a place and a branch of our faith where we believe the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts, convicts us, moves. So one day the Holy Spirit was speaking to me. I was just praying, and the Holy Spirit said, "Leaf, am I the best thing in your life?" And I said, "Absolutely, God." Now I'm not talking out loud. I'm you know I'm having this conversation in my mind. Am I better than gold? Yes. And then God said, "This. Why are you afraid to talk about me to others?" Then I was like. As soon as that happened, something broke in me. This fear broke, and I just started to feel this, this need. I need to get this word out. And I, what I want you to know, the reason I titled this message, Yes, No, and Nothing in Between, is because Jesus was so, so wired for God's will. He was so motivated by mission that his only answers were yes and no. Nothing in between. He, he didn't, like people wanted his time, and he didn't always give people his time people wanted had expectation of him he didn't always do what they expected people wanted him to make decisions for them and he said who made me a judge and arbitrator remember when they were trying to trap him in his words and they brought him a coin he says render to Caesar the things that are Caesar and to God the things that are God Jesus even when he was on the cross and they wanted him to come down from the cross that would have been easier that would have been less painful and he didn't come down from the cross For Jesus, he was so motivated by the mission, he was so wired for his father's will that it had to be a yes or a no. Nothing in between for Jesus. And I think for us, what fuels our faith, that would help us determine a yes and a no. What's important, what's not important. What we get worked up about and what we shouldn't get worked up about. What we get excited for and what we get exhausted about. Like, it's hard. I grew up in a family. I have a family. I'm 50 years old now. 90% of my family is not Christian. So there are things I have to say no to, although I want to love them with the love of God. And so we have to to be wired a certain way. And I want you to picture this as as we kind of get towards the end. The key to sharing our story and being a great storyteller in our lives is to have a new narrative. To have a new narrative. Now this woman does something very interesting. We already saw it in verse 28. She left her water jar at the well. That was a well she went to every day. She didn't have a Costco card to get a case of bottled water. She didn't have a Brita. She wasn't like us having to worry about once a week watering. She would go to that well every day. She left her jar at the well. Pretty amazing. And she goes back and tells everyone Someone was there who told me everything I did in my life. Her life was not perfect. Her life had heartbreak. She had been married four times, and the fifth person she was with was not her husband. We don't know what happened to the four other husbands. We don't want to prejudge. You remember the disciples with the man born blind who sinned, his parents or him? Neither. So we don't know why this woman has been married four times and why her current person or partner is not her, uh, her husband. But she has a life story. She has some baggage. She has some heartache. She has some dreams still. And Jesus, and she goes back to her town. I love this. And she says, I've got a new story. I've got a better story. I have a story of a God who loves me, a God who knows me, a God who forgives me, and a God who redeems me. And I want to encourage you, like in our world today, there are so many nonsensical stories out there. And we've got to replace our nonsense stories with a new life story. Now, please hear my heart. I'm not saying that what's happened in our lives is not tough, not difficult, not not painful, not challenging. I'm not saying there are never detours. Have you ever had a detour in life? There are things that happen. But how do we tell that story? How do we tell the story of the childhood and the home we grew up in that wasn't great? How do we tell that story? How do we tell the story of closed door after closed door in our careers and our job, and whether it was a supervisor's fault, the company's fault, someone else jumped ahead of us in line for promotion? How do we tell that story? How do we tell the story of a Christian who's hurt us And it's kind of detached us from intimacy with God, reading the Bible, prayer, the Thursday prayer you guys have, going to church. Someone else's failure or hypocrisy has caused us to get apart from God. What about a relationship? Because those are the hardest ones when someone close in your life breaks your heart. But when you have that broken heart, then there's a lack of intimacy and trust with others. And how do we tell our story? Because listen to what 1 John 5, 4 says. For everyone born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. How do we tell the story of March 2020 to now? It's been hard. It's been painful, you know? But how do we tell the story? It's not that we fake the story. It's not that we don't tell the story. It's how you tell the story. On the day our church moved to a new property, we were in a very small building. We moved to a new property. The very first day we opened that property, my daughter went into the hospital for five weeks and almost died. It's five years old. Had ten seizures a week later on her sixth birthday. So I'm trying to lead a church into a new property, and my daughter's at Children's Hospital. We're not sure if she's going to live. Meningitis, encephalitis, ten seizures. So that became a part of our story. Painful, hard, miraculously, she's fine. No after effects, no residual. But that's a part of our story. It's a part of our story just like Jesus meeting us. And I love this. What the woman thought she needed the most, the jar for water, is what she leaves behind. So when I got saved, you're wondering how I got saved. I'm just going to wrap up the message. I have a whole other point, but I, I don't think I need to do that point. I'll, I'll just share my story and then one other story. So I started going to church on the way, playing in the basketball league. And there was this guy there. His name was David Purnell. And this guy was my age, and he always smiled. He was always positive. He was always happy. He was always joyful. I wanted to smack the smile off of his face. I'm like, why is this guy so happy? He would not talk to me about the Bible. He would just say, "Leave. how are you doing? How's your job? How's your family? You're good at basketball. This, this. He'd just talk and encourage and encourage and encourage. Well, I had been going to the, um, I had gotten kicked out of my house. I moved back in. The, the rule, though, my mom and my stepdad and my sister got saved a year before me. So the rule was to come back home, I had to go to church. All right, I'll go to church. I'm not getting, I'm just not even listening. I'm in the youth group for seven months. And on the day before our camp, the pastor, the youth pastor, never had this done before, had two students speak. Guess who one of them was? David Purnell. And when David spoke, I don't know. remember what he even talked about. For 30 minutes, I sat in a chair and wept. No altar call. No one said, come to Jesus. No one handed me a Bible. I wept for 30 minutes in a chair. God had been working those whole seven months, whether I was listening or not. And so I I just want to encourage you. God has prepared people to hear about his son. And God has prepared you. I want to say that again. God has prepared people like he prepared me. God has prepared you. What I didn't tell you is the first day I went to that youth group, this is before I got saved, I walked in and everyone started hugging me. So now I do I have this weird David Purnell guy, but I have people hugging me. I'm like, why are these people hugging me? And it was after I got saved that the youth pastor said, Leif, you don't understand, for the last year and a half, every Wednesday night when we have prayer time, when we a- I ask the students if they need prayer, your sister, your younger sister always says, Pray for my brother. He needs Jesus. Every Wednesday for a year, and now we're 30-plus years later, and my, my sister needs to come back to the Lord. She needs to come back to the Lord. But God is prepared, and he's prepared you. He's prepared you with gifts and talents and abilities and audiences that I'll never speak to, that Pastor Kirk and Stacy will never speak to. He's prepared you. There's a guy in the Bible named Stephen. He was martyred. He's the first recorded martyr in Acts. How many have heard of Stephen? So he says before he dies, what gets him stoned, he goes through the whole history of Israel, but what gets him stoned is he says, behold, I see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Father coming and going in glory. Who was the person consenting of his death? Saul. Saul, the very next chapter, is walking on the road. A light beams from heaven. Saul, why are you persecuting me? the very thing Stephen said he saw is how Jesus displayed himself to Saul. There was, that was a holy setup. There was a prep. And so what I want to I encourage you as we close, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Um, how are you prepared to go and use be you? Tell your story. You have an amazing story, a story of overcoming, a story of a miracle, a story of hanging in there. A story of giving your all. A story of closed door after closed door after closed door and you still waited for that open door. You know, some of us, we've got administrative gifts. Use that for the harvest. Some of us have creative brilliance and um, creative ideas and we're good at teamwork. Use that for the kingdom. Some of us have a, a lot of money. Use that for the kingdom. Some of us know God's word and move in spiritual gifts. We can all move in spiritual gifts. Use that for the kingdom. Some of us have a huge compassion and justice gene. Use that for the kingdom. In fact, my wife, she loves the right, and she wrote a devotional on hope, 40 days. Is there someone in this place, you're in a season of change and it's hard? Just raise your hand if that's you. Season of change and it's hard. Here you go. I'll bring you this one right over in a moment. Psalm 118.17, I had a fear of speaking in public, then I also had a fear of dying. Do you ever have a fear of dying? Don't raise your hand. But Psalm 118.17, it's not a great way to end a message, but this is how we're going. Psalm 118.17 says this, I will not die, but live and tell of the goodness of God in my life. I will not die, but I will live. I live so that people will know Jesus. In fact, I came from here. Our church meets on Saturday night. We were just at a local Starbucks and paid for everyone's drinks and goodies for an hour just to let them know how special they are, to tell them Jesus loves them. I've been talking to my baristas. I've been talking to non-spiritual people. And here's here's the thing I tell them. When I start talking to them, I say, if you say this prayer for seven days, your life will change. And they go, what? What will change my life? And here's all I teach them. God, guide me and open the right door. Everyone can pray that prayer even if they don't know Jesus yet. You can, I don't, I won't trademark it, I get no money for that, but the next time you talk to someone, a family member, a neighbor, a barista, someone, and they're just talking about life and what's going on, God guide me and open the right door, God guide me and open the right door. So let me, let me end with this, because God is preparing hearts. The baptism I told you about, Daryl and Maria and their daughter, Bailey Hexamer, were getting ready for their baptism, and I'm just talking to them, because they had been coming to the church, I came here and they were already here, and I said, how did you hear about the church? No one told us, really, well, why would you come to a church that no one told you about? We lived in the apartments right across the street. We saw a sign that one day there was a church, and we decided to come on over and check it out. They were the first family I baptized. They stayed with us for 13 years before they moved to the southeast. I'm still a little angry at them, but their heart was prepared. Last story, real quick. You got to hear this one. This just happened. I was at a premarital counseling appointment. I'm marrying a couple from our church. The lady, Diana, we're d- doing some of the premarital, and she goes, Leaf, who's the lady who was crying on a Sunday after church? I'm like, that's a lot of people. I make a lot of people cry. You know, she said, who's the lady crying? And I go, I don't know, describe her. And then I'm like, it's a Lorena. She said she went into the restroom after church and saw this woman crying, weeping, 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 She wanted to do something. She didn't know her, but there was someone else already praying for her, talking to her. So she left. And all she said was, I really love your shoes. You're beautiful. She just spoke encouragement over her. This person, Deanna, lives in the valley. What she didn't know was Lorena also lives in the valley. She's at the dollar store that afternoon. And she hears a voice. Hey, did you go to Shepherd's House Church this morning? Yes. And Deanna goes, I noticed you were crying. Is everything okay? Is everything okay? She goes, I'm really struggling with my teenage daughter. Her dad was killed 10 years ago. And she's now rebelling and struggling and angry. And I don't know what to do. And she started to weep again. But what Lorena didn't know and what Deanna Deanna didn't know about Lorena, Deanna goes, when I was your daughter's age, my dad passed away suddenly. And I went down a path that was so bad and so dark and I left God. But I'm back. Your daughter is going to come back. Do you think God set that up? The perfect person for Lorena. There's perfect people for Conejo Church. There's perfect people on your street. There's perfect people at your workplace. There's perfect family members who need your every Thursday prayer, just like I needed my sister. Here's the name, Bliss, hippies. My sister, Bliss. I needed her everyday prayer. Let's pray together. As we pray, I want you to think we didn't really dive fully into this message. There's three groups of people in this message. We are one of them. The woman who comes to a well who meets Jesus for the first time. Someone here or online may need to meet Jesus for the first time. A village of people who come back to hear more, who come to see Jesus. I believe there's people that just need to come back to God. Like really come back to God. I'm not talking about like you've done some bad things. I'm just saying get really close to God, hear more, learn more. And then there are disciples. We didn't get to that part of the story. Disciples who Jesus said, you need to go out and start reaping. You need to go out. The fields are ready. You're going to reap, and you're going to reap at the same time sowing's happening. So Lord, we want to thank you for this time. I thank you for my friends. I thank you for the time we've spent in your word. I want to thank you, Lord, that you want people to know you You sent your Son. And as Jesus prayed in the garden, He said, as the Father has sent me, Lord, would you send them, Father? Father, send them. Just as you sent me into the world, send them. And so, Lord, we pray that people would come to know Jesus, that people would return to get more of Him, and that we would be prepared to go. We would be prepared to share. We would be prepared to be generous and compassionate and encouraging. We would be prepared to be the light and salt you want us to be and that we would walk in love. And as we walk in love, hurting hearts would be mended because hurting hearts need warm-hearted people. Help us to be the warm-hearted people to the hurting all around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's uh, prepare by, we're going to sing a song just to continue to prepare our hearts. Let God speak to you. He is so good. And there's someone in your life this week that is prepared to hear the story and you're prepared to tell it. Amen? Amen.